Good morning. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity once again to come as a church family to worship you. Indeed, Lord, we pray that your kingdom come and your kingdom's rule will reign in our hearts today. As we hear your word preached, we pray for your spirit to stir our hearts, warm our hearts, not just as hearers, but also doers. And we pray that we will glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will continue this morning with our study on the book of Hebrews, following Jesus, pressing on to maturity. And uh, the topic today is the danger of defying. Uh, This is the last of five warnings in Hebrews. Um, And let me begin with an illustration. A five-year-old girl was having one of those troubled days uh, with her mother. It seemed that they spent the whole day arguing back and forth, back and forth. Finally, the mother had enough. The mother told her, Jenny, go sit in the corner right now and don't get up until I tell you to do so. Jenny stomped her feet, walked to the corner and sat down. After a few minutes, Jenny called back to the mother. Mom, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. All of us tend to have a standing on the inside, rebellious nature. We are all rebels. Uh, I have been told that I am a very compliant person. I thank God for that. Because I am a changed man. I would want to think so. But I'm not there yet. Okay? I'm still a rebel. If you know me well enough, you know that I am not that compliant after all. A brief recap. The Christian race is a long and difficult marathon. In the process of running this long marathon, we suffer and you will experience pain. But we can depend on God's provision and providence of His grace so that we can finish it at the end. It is important that we understand and we lay hold of God's resource, which is God's grace. Jesus is our prize. Every one of us are running this Christian marathon of life and we will suffer. Oftentimes we come to church and if we are suffering, we think that we are the only one suffering. But if you know one another well enough and when they share their life with you, you will truly understand that all of us are suffering. It's just that we do not tell it publicly. It's just that we do not share it openly. All of us come to church, we smile. But behind that smile, there is pain. There is suffering. Many of us are persevering on in spite of the pain, in spite of the thoughts of us giving up. And we can finish because God has marked out the race for us. We can finish not because of our own strength, but because God has marked out that race. Today's passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, 
reminds us of our goal of this race. Verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. As you run this race, make every effort to pursue. Make every effort to chase. Strive. Strive for what? Strive for two things. Live in peace with everyone and to be holy. It is like you are running a race. I am not a very good runner. I'm not like Pastor Isaac. You look at my size, you know I cannot run one. Anything above two kilometers, I punch it. I'm really thinking of it, I'm really tired already. So how did I survive my running? I asked around my friends, what is your timing? And then you find a pacer. If you want to run 945, look for a 945. Don't look for a 9-minute runner and then try and keep up with him. You will die. Don't look for a 12-minute runner because you will fail. <laughs> look for someone to help you pace. Find a pacer. Living in peace with everyone and to be holy is like our pacer. We chase after it. We pursue after it. We may not overtake it. We may not arrive. But we will get there. We will finish the race. Keep these two things in mind. Live in peace with everyone. Everyone who finishes this race will receive a prize. There is no first prize, second prize, third prize, last prize. Everyone will receive the prize. What is the prize? The Lord Jesus Christ is the prize. So they are your fellow runners. They are your sojourners. They are not your competitors. You don't have to outdo them. You don't have to outrun them. You don't have to run them down. Live in peace with everyone. Secondly, to be holy before God. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In our journey, observe your personal inward holiness. Don't disqualify yourself. Because without holiness, no one will see God. It is one thing to try to live in peace with everyone. It is one thing to remain holy but it is another thing to have the two in one. Depend on God's grace. And in order for us to do so, we must understand God's discipline. It is a choice, a deliberate choice. Understand God's discipline. God doesn't hate you when He disciplines you. A father who loves you will discipline you. A father who does not discipline you does not truly love you. So do not hate God when He disciplines you. Do not hate God when you feel the pain. Whatever pain it is, right? Maybe the pain of trying to live peaceably with everyone. Maybe the pain of trying to be holy. Whatever pain. Don't hate God. 
He disciplines us precisely because we are His beloved child. God, our Father, is holy. Therefore, we must be holy. Like Father, like Son. Right? To arrive at holiness is like purifying gold with fire. There's a lot of dross in gold. For, it to, for you to have pure gold, there must be fire that is applied to it. So it's the same with our lives. It's the same when God disciplines us. When God wants to purify our lives and make us righteous and holy, there will be pain. There will be fire. You will feel the heat. All the dross needs to be burned away. And that is painful. Earlier on in verse 11, three, verse, three verses before uh, this, God's word says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Righteousness and peace. We are to live in peace with everyone and we are to be righteous and holy. Righteousness and peace. In the running of this race, the pain of God's discipline produces a harvest. There will be a harvest. A harvest of righteousness or holiness and peace. In our growth towards maturity, we grow in Christ-likeness. We want to be Christ-like. We already know that Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7, it tells us what that name Melchizedek means. Hebrews 7 verse 1 and 2, I'm reading the Bible. First, the name Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. Then also the king of Salem means the king of peace. Again, righteousness and peace. In our following of Jesus, we must grow in living in peace with everyone and holiness before God. If you have lived long enough, you will know that even though you want to live in peace with everyone, not everyone wants to live in peace with you. Right? Some people like to look for trouble. And somehow, you know, some of us attract more trouble than others. I have on a few occasions experienced this myself. And to add on, trying to live in peace with everyone to remain holy before God. I have to confess that I'm not there yet. I'm still pursuing to live in peace with everyone and to remain holy at the same time. It is a very, very tall order. Yes, we may truly remain truly may not be able to attain it. But don't give up. It is like your pacer. Don't give up. Don't let that pacer be too far away from you. Stay close to your pacer. And forward is the only way in this race. So let's press on together. I will need all of God's grace and you will need all of God's grace. And then comes the warning in verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
As you run this race, see to it that no one, no one falls short of the grace of God. Why is this so important? Because it is God's grace that provides for you and me to complete your race. In this marathon, you will need water. You will need gel. You will need food, banana maybe. Don't just run past those resources. Lay hold of those resources. As you go on this marathon of life, God's grace, hold on to it. Claim it. Use it. Make full use of it. Don't fall short of the grace of God. Otherwise, you may not finish. Jesus died for you. Don't fall short of that grace. Jesus is your price. Don't fall short of His grace. God's grace is sufficient for you. Don't fall short. The Holy Spirit is leading you. Don't fall short. The Word of God is there to instruct you. Don't fall short. The story is told of two men who were trying to escape from an erupting volcano. As the fiery molten rock gushed out of the gaping center, the crater, they fled in only one direction that was open to them. All went well. They ran for their life. All went well until they came to a stream of hot lava about 30 feet across. Looking around, sizing up the situation, they realized that their only hope was to get over that white barrier, that 30 feet of stream. One of the men was older. The other was young and healthy. With a running start, they each tried to leap to safety. The first man, the older man, went only a few feet through the air and then before falling into the bubbling mess. The younger man, with his greater strength and skill, and can run faster, he catapulted himself much further. Though he almost made it, he still missed the mark. It did not matter that he outdistanced his companion, for he too perished in the burning lava. Sin is falling short of a standard the glory of God. Though some of us may fall short of the standard by far more than others, all of us fall short. The same with living in peace with everyone and remaining holy before God. In our pursuit of living in peace with everyone and holiness before God, all of us fall short. Make sure you do not fall short the Bible tells us. And make sure the bitter root in us does not grow up. Bitterness hinders us from God's grace. So instead of being bitter, learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving up your right to hurt someone for hurting you. Giving up your right to hurt the person for hurting you. That is forgiveness. 
Bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison. You drink it and then you hope that you kill the other person. That is what bitterness and unforgiveness does to us. We lose sleep for it, the other person sleeps well. It kills us slowly from the inside out. When we become bitter, we say and do things that we normally wouldn't. That's why the Bible says, for your own sake and for the sake of those around you, resist and reject bitterness. Because it will cause trouble and defile many. Let's continue to use forgiveness, uh, forgiving others as an application because so many of us are struggling with unforgiveness, including myself. When it comes to forgiveness, we can choose to depend on God's grace to forgive others or we can choose to fall short of God's grace by defying God, by not forgiving others. It is a choice. If you are unwilling to forgive, you are defying God. You choose to fall short. It is a choice. If you are rationalizing and trying to justify why you shouldn't forgive, you are defying God's grace. What is defying God? Defiance can mean three things. Firstly, openly challenge God. Secondly, resist the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, plainly refusing to obey God. When someone hurts you, you can identify with that, right? When we do any of that, we defy God's grace and fall short of His grace. Forgiveness is God's grace to us. All of us have received forgiveness. We need to receive it. Don't fall short of it and then pay forward. Pay it forward to others. The writer of Hebrew uses the negative example of Esau to illustrate for us what is defying God. We are familiar, right, with Genesis 25 recording for us how Esau sold his inheritance rights as the older son for a single meal. Verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the older son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Friends, do not be sexually immoral. Don't commit fornication. Don't commit adultery. You and I are God's children. God's grace is our inheritance, which is our blessing from God. We are to remain sexually moral. And... Hold on to your inheritance. Don't sell it away. In exchange, shortchanging yourself. Esau sold his inheritance, his birthright, for a bowl of soup, for a meal. That's shortchanging himself. That's falling short. The bowl of soup is next to nothing compared to his inheritance rights. Don't do that. 
even when you are suffering, even when you are going through deep valleys and great trials, even when you are wronged, even when you need forgiveness, even if you are hungry, even if you are suffering for the sake of Jesus, don't give up Jesus your prize for the world. Don't be godless like Esau. Don't live your life in defiance with God. You are God's beloved. You have an inheritance of grace and with it, inheritance rights. God wants to bless you with eternal blessing. Don't sell it in exchange for nothing. Don't exchange heaven for food or earthly toys, children of God. Friends, this is God's warning for us today. Don't defy God. Don't fall short of His grace. Don't give up your inheritance rights. Don't be like Esau, who regretted when he was rejected of his inheritance, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. Tears, even tears. When Esau wanted his inheritance rights back, he sought it with tears. But the Bible tells us he did not receive it. Why? Because there are many, many different kinds of tears. Esau's kind of tear is the tear of regret. I should have done better. Then there's the tear of sadness. Then there's the tear of joy. Right? There are many different forms of tears, right? The only kind of tear that God accepts is tears of repentance. Tears of regret is useless because it is not tears of repentance. Esau sought the blessing with tears, but he could not change what he had done. Friends, heed God's warning and take corrective actions while we still can. You still can repent and not just regret because God's grace does not fail us. His grace is still there available for you. Take full advantage of it. Learn from the example, the bad example of Esau. Now some of us may be in regret or feel condemned after hearing the message because we may have defied God or we may have been presumptuous of, our, of God in our daily living. What should we do? Turn to God's grace in repentance, not just remaining regretful. The writer of Hebrews goes on to contrast Mount Sinai and Mount Zion in verse 18. He writes, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Remember this account on Sinai? 
where God gave the Ten Commandments, the mountain was shaking, burning, nobody there to go near. And down here it tells us, even Moses, the man of God, was trembling with fear. Friends, we have not come to Sinai. The Bible tells us that. Where God gave the law and fear was prevalent on everyone, including Moses. We ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is for us to understand what is reward and punishment. What are the do's and the don'ts? And there's only 10 of it. Yet, we are breakers of God's law and the seriousness of God's law. It is like a father teaching the child as it were. It is to inform us of God's standard of holiness. Son, daughter, these are the Ten Commandments. Keep it. If God were to judge us according to these Ten Commandments, His law, all of us would fall short of God's glory. We would end up in the stream of lava. You have not come to Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. Verse 22 continues with a beautiful twist with the word but. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. What a relief, right? When I was preparing this sermon... You know, this is something that I grappled with for many years, you know. As a young Christian, until not too long ago. Because we are doers. We are doers. We depend on our own strength. We want to pass, especially when we are Singaporeans, huh? we are very good with exams, right? We must pass. I must get A. Friend, A not enough, huh? God's standard is not A. God's standard is perfection. I struggled with this. Sinai, Zion, works, grace. And even, sadly, when I become a Christian, I still depend on works. Right? I depend on works. I give you an example. A good Christian must come to church every Sunday. Why is that? Works. A committed church member must come to P3 every month. What is that? Speak to me. Works. That is works. If we depend on our church attendance, if we depend on our titles, if we depend on our credits, that is works. Simply said. And there are so many Christians struggling with this. Right? All of us are struggling, right? If you think of, of it in terms of works, you are struggling with it. Give 10% of your salary. Works. Struggle. And we find that, wow, it's so difficult. But we have not come to Sinai. We have come to 
Zion, grace. God's grace. When you experience God's grace, huh, you do not just want to come to church on Sunday. You, know? you want to come to church every day. You want to commune with God every day. You want to give God not only 10%, you want to give God your whole life because you recognize that all I have comes from God. That is grace. And even if you, you struggle to give 1% of your salary, uh, can I say this? God still loves you. God still loves you. That is grace. I'm not saying that don't come to church on Sunday. What I'm trying to say is live your Christian faith by grace, not works. Works will not get you to heaven. Coming to church on Sunday, every Sunday, will not get you to heaven. Giving 10% will not get you to heaven. Giving 50% won't get you to heaven. It is grace. It is all grace. How precious is that a eureka moment, aha moment, you know? Then when you love, truly love God, you don't calculate with God. Did God calculate with us? No. He gave us His best. He gave us His all. Heaven is now empty. He gave all that He could give. Yet we are so calculative with God. That is not grace. That is works. Sinai represents the old covenant of law and works. Zion represents the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. God doesn't judge you by His law. God judges you by His grace. Have you accepted His grace? Don't fall short of His grace. Otherwise, you will be judged by His law. Look beyond the law of Sinai. Gaze on the grace of Zion, the city of the living God. Can you imagine with me? You go to the city of the living God eh, in the future. You worship with the thousands and thousands of angels, with the universal church, believers from the past uh, and even into the future. Everybody there. Do you calculate and count when is Sunday? Do you calculate how much you give the Lord? Do you calculate how long you must stand and lift up your hand? No. It is all grace. It is freedom. Don't sell away your inheritance as God's firstborn. God is there in Zion. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, is there, whose sprinkled blood speaks mercy and grace. It is only by the blood of Jesus that we can arrive. It is by the grace of God that we can arrive. When you are having a difficult day and you feel like giving up, what do you do? Look up. Look up and contemplate Zion. Don't just live for the present. Live for the future. 
God is speaking to you today. Don't defy God. Don't say that God doesn't understand when you go through difficult times. When you go through difficult times, don't even need to inform Him that you are suffering. He knows that you are suffering. That's why He has given us grace. Sufficient grace. You know, sometimes in our prayer life, it's more like informing God, you know. In our prayer life, how do we pray? I hope that we grow in our prayer life. God, I'm in pain. If It's like you telling your dad, you know, after a bad fall, you fractured your hand, you say, Dad, I'm in pain. Your dad say, I know. Right? Dad, I'm in trouble. Your heavenly father knows. He knows what you need. Don't inform God. No need to inform God because God knows. What do you need to do? You need to cling on to God's character. God, you are good. Last night I was sharing my testimony to a newcomer about how God broke my hand, made me allergic to painkillers. I'm still allergic to painkillers. You know? At the end of it, I say God is good. Even though I broke my hand. Had to put in steel plate, sew up my hand, after heal, go into the theatre again, cut it open, take out the steel plate, sew it back. Uh, Also still allergic to painkillers. But why did I say that? Because it is through that event that I came back to the Lord from my backsliding. I was so far away from God, you know. I was, I drifted so far away from God. When you look at me, you won't even know that I'm a Christian. The pastor came to me and said, uh, Leonard, you must come back to church. Huh? I tell him what, you know. Pastor, don't waste time on me. I'm a child of God. A naughty one. Spend your time going evangelize, talk to the sinners, the unbelievers. And that was how God brought me back. When you are in pain, don't need to inform God. I didn't inform God because I know deep down inside me why I was in pain. Cling on to His character. God, you are good. You love me. You want to restore me to back to your foe. Like the lost sheep, you want to bring me back. You break my leg. You carry me on your shoulder. You bring me back. Don't question His love for you. He died for you. Don't compare your life with those who are evil and seem to prosper and have a lot of so-called worldly blessing. Why? Because God is the judge. Don't be bitter. God has forgiven you. So forgive others. Don't defy Him. God has warned us. What is our rightful response? Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who won them on earth, how much less we if we turn away from him who wants us from heaven. In those days, God has warned them. He has spoken. But today, he speaks to us even more clearly. Now we have the word of God, we have the Bible. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Back then, they don't have the Bible. Back then, they don't have the Holy Spirit with them. Yet God judged them. We cannot escape, much less we. 
We have no excuse. Don't defy God and refuse God who speaks to our spirit today through the preaching of His Word and through what He's doing in the world today. We better listen and heed His warning. If He shook Sinai and judged those in the Old Testament who refused to hear, He will judge us all the more because we have experienced the blessing of the new covenant and better informed. You who know the gospel and experience God's grace, don't defy God and turn away from Him who wants us. Draw near to His voice. Verse 26, At that time, His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. At that time, referring to the Old Testament time when, they gave, when God gave them the law, He shook the earth. But now He's not only shaking the earth, but He's also shaking heaven. Once more, God is shaking earth and heaven. All of us have experienced God's shaking. You cannot say that you have not experienced God's shaking. All of us have experienced God's shaking through COVID. When COVID came, we thought we were all going to die. Right? Have we forgotten that? When COVID first came, as a pastor, I say, wow, jialat this time. Jialat. The Singaporeans say jialat. I do not know how many funerals I have to conduct. And will I die or not? If I die, who will conduct? <laughs> another pastor. Lah. If another pastor die, who will conduct? Another pastor. You know, those were the days. Right? The shaking. Cannot come to church. Christians cannot come to church. But unbelievers can come to church. And not only come to church, but stay in church. Remember those days? The shaking. You cannot go to work. Stay at home and work. Wow, the shaking, right? Children cannot go to school. Must stay at home. Home-based learning. Wow. It's a big shaking no? for students, right? And also for the parents. Teachers now have to, have to video themselves. Pastors have to preach through, through recording. How to do all this? Shaking. The shaking forces us to look at the realities. What can be shaken and what cannot be shaken? What is important and what is not important? Don't let those lessons go to waste. When COVID hit, every one of us draw near to God. We pray. True or not? I hope it's not just the pastor who pray. <laughs> All of us pray. Pray for our family. Pray for our children. Pray for our parents. Pray for our loved ones. Pray for our job. Pray for this. Pray for that. Pray for the church. What about now? Three years after? We went back to before COVID. We take things for granted. We think that we can live forever and ever and ever. We think that we, our jobs are there forever and ever. 
We think that the church is here forever and ever. The shaking quotation is actually taken from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty says, This passage refers to that time when the Lord shall return and fill His house with glory. And we are seeing more and more shaking, right? More and more literal shaking. There are more and more earthquakes, more and more bigger tsunamis, more and more disease, pestilence. We are living in a shaking world. How shall we live in a shaking world? Verse 28. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful so, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Instead of living in regret and fear, Christians, we can be confident because of God's grace, we are part of that kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us therefore be thankful and worship God with reverence and awe. Don't defy God's grace and His word because God is a consuming fire. Today's sermon brings our attention to a serious warning against falling short of God's grace by defying God. God loves us and His grace is sufficient for us. But like the readers of this epistle Hebrews, we have not suffered beyond our ability to stand. We are all still alive. Like the former principal of SBC say, you know, every time I come to end of the semester, all the students got a lot of deadlines, prepare for exam, and so on and so, so forth. Uh, Dr. Albert Ting used to say, you won't die. You won't die. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. Suffering is a mark of sonship and Christ-likeness. If you are not suffering, something is wrong. A discipline for maturity. Therefore, face suffering as a challenge and do not sell out your rightful blessings for nothing. Like them, we are reminded that we have come in our spiritual journey, not to fearsome Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. To Jesus, the mediator of the new and better covenant. We are warned to give attention to the message of the gospel of Jesus and not defy against it. God who shook Sinai will shake heaven and earth to accomplish His purpose. Instead of defying against God, let us be thankful. Thankful for God's grace and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In closing, our takeaway is this. God has won. What is your choice? You are driving down the highway 
when you encounter a sign that reads dangerous curves ahead. Immediately, you are confronted with making a choice. One, you can observe the warning and slow down. Two, you can ignore the warning and maintain your rate of speed. Three, you can defy the warning and speed up. Whatever response you exercise, you will not change the truth of this sign. The curve remains dangerous, regardless of whether you acknowledge the fact or not. God's warning and His word remains forever. Let us pray. I give us a minute to respond to God. I'm sure God has spoken to you. Respond to Him in prayer. Father God, we come before you in confession and repentance because we have been defiant of you. Forgive us. We want to lay hold on to your grace. We want to complete this race and we want to receive Jesus, our prize. So Lord, help us to understand your heart and help us to understand your discipline. Help us to live in peace with everyone and to remain righteous before you. It is so difficult. It is impossible by our own strength. But we thank you that we serve a God, a God of the impossible, a God of miracles, a God who is able by your grace, to transform us. So Lord, we pray that as we mature, we will continue to love you more and serve you more. Not because we have to, but because we want to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.